Welcome to Dead Pilot Society, the show that takes comedy pilots from A-list writers that were sold and developed at networks but never produced and gives them the table reads they never got a chance to have. I'm Andrew Reich, the creator and host of Dead Pilot Society. This is the after show for The Thing About Lulu, featuring my conversation with Jonathan Groff and Elena Crivello. Jonathan's credits include being head writer on Late Night with Conan O'Brien, writer and producer on Andy Barker P.I., Scrubs, How I Met Your Mother, showrunner on Happy Endings, showrunner for eight years on Blackish. Elena Cravello's credits include Vida, Grace and Frankie, and now American Auto. In our interview, you'll hear about the roots of this pilot in an unaired series that Jonathan made with Jason Bateman and Greg Grunberg. We talk about the thorny issue of how to write comedy about the climate crisis without mocking the characters who care about it. The difficulty of making sure that Monica on Friends and Ted on How I Met Your Mother got enough jokes. And uh, the shot but never seen opening scene of Happy Endings. Uh, As you'll hear, we recorded this interview back in December when Elena was about to have a baby. You'll be happy to know that she had a healthy baby boy, Luca, born at eight and a half pounds. And the pitch that Elena refers to is going to happen in April, so we don't know the outcome of that yet. Okay, here's my conversation with Jonathan Groff and Elena Crivello. Carrie, is it? Oh, yes. Hi, I'm Carrie. I am Psychic Ross, and I will be reading you this evening. Oh, interesting. Well, okay. I co-host a podcast. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. Yes, I'm sensing that. The spirits are telling me. It is a show about Well, it's about like fringe science and spirituality and claims of the paranormal. Oh, you knew that. You do research online. But more importantly, like we do in-person investigations. In-person investigate as well. Oh, my God. That's amazing. See? Me and my friend. This is so weird. My friend, Ross. Same name as you. Weird. He and I just go and try them all out. And actually, we've gone to a number of psychics. And to be honest with you, it's a lot like this. It's called Ono, Ross, and Carrie. They can find it at MaximumFun.org. I could have told you that. Elena, Jonathan, thanks for being here. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for having us. It's exciting. Uh, Should be easy. I won't need you to introduce yourselves because I think everyone will be able to tell you apart. Sometimes that's tougher. I think it'll be easy. We're, we're, Elena, we're catching you at this, like, w- what's crazy when you think about it is we're doing this interview, but when this comes out, you'll have a baby. I know. I'm ready. I gotta say, I'm very I hope ready. so, because it's coming up soon. You're, yeah. You're a week away. He's huge. I swear this baby's going to be like 12 pounds. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> barely move. Well, I'm glad we're we're catching you before you sort of vanish for a little bit. Um, yeah. for the incredible experience you're about to have, um, and thank you guys for letting us read this your pilot, the thing about Lulu. Um, so, how did how did you two meet and team up? How did this come about? Well, Jonathan and I met in 2014 because I had a pilot with my old writing partner at NBC. And um, it was through ABC Studios. The whole thing didn't end up working out. So the partnership, the pilot, the whole thing. Just ABC <laughs> Studios, NBC, maybe they're not, I don't know. Um, so yeah, so Jonathan- It was a good pilot. I'm gonna jump in. It was a good pilot called, I'm gonna give it a little shine. Come on. Thank you. Actually, we'll, we'll, do, we'll do another Dead Pilot Society at some point maybe, but uh, it was called Fifth Wheel. And- um, it was good, but we knew we were in trouble. Remember the day we knew we were really in trouble when 
we yes. were at NBC and we were casting. Were you going to tell the story? Am I stealing? No, please, please tell. We, were, we had brought some actors to read for the network. And we came into our casting session and we looked down the hall as we're heading in. And there goes, leaving the casting session from another show, there goes away from our session, Bob Greenblatt, the president of the network, who would be the person deciding on who we should cast, meaning like, this pilot might be taking on water for some reason. I think it was one of those ones that they, everybody loved it and then they bought it and they started to go like, well, wait, where does this fit in? And I don't know. We hadn't done anything. We hadn't had a table read or anything. They just kind oh. of lost the will to keep doing it. It was such a bummer. But so that's when we met. Yeah. <laughs> we came on as our supervisor and um, we just had so much fun for the two months or month and a half that we worked on it and I was like Heidi and I were like oh we've arrived and then of course quickly it was the first thing we had written and the first thing we had sold it was very like a like a Cinderella story for us because we hadn't really we had had a video that gone viral was how we started writing and so we were like this is amazing and then Jonathan was this great you know like wise tv writer who came in and was helping us. So and we had Mark Buckland, who's a wonderful director, was attached to direct it. And we were all set to go and make a nice multicam hangout, friend style, friend group type show. And I'd never done a multicam really about it set exactly in that thing. So I was really excited. And Heidi and uh, Elena were so funny. But anyway. And it came to you, Jonathan, how did it come across? Uh, I was I was in a, a deal at ABC Studios and had just come off of Happy Endings. And I had four projects that I had just been involved with for development that none of which was going. I'd gone 0 for 4 already. So weirdly, I kind of went 0 for 5 with Elena's and then did supervise a pilot uh, from Brian Gallivan for Sony ABC Studios called Bambi Cottages in 2014. Um, that Paul F. Tom Tompkins and Molly Shannon were in, and it was really lovely. Yeah, that was a great pilot. I remember that one. Oh, cool. Yeah, it was really good. And we shot it, and it came out good, and that didn't go. And so I was kind of 0 for 6 that year until then I landed at Blackish, which was a great place to land. But but I loved working with Elena, and we would hang out every once in a while after that, and I was always like, that's somebody I'd like to work with again. Um, she's just funny and smart. Thank you. Likewise. <laughs> and so after that pilot didn't go for you, Elena, like what, what came? Uh, just I, depression, I, I, just like a lot of. <laughs> <laughs> sure. That first one, that, that one hurts the most. That one is the longest morning period. That first one, it gets shorter uh, with each, with each succeeding one. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm, after... down, I'm down to 45 minutes of morning. Yeah. I get that call. <laughs> yeah. those, those 45 minutes are rough. But, rough. You know. <laughs> A lot happens. Yeah. Um, uh, we ended up selling another pilot to NBC that next year. And then we developed some more stuff and got stuck in some like development hell, you know, with big IP involving like Sandra Bullock. <laughs> it, was a, it was a strange journey. We're like hanging out with Sandra Bullock's bodyguard a lot for a little while uh, for research. Anyways, but eventually we split up as a writing partnership because she really wanted to pursue acting more. And I was like, I want to staff and she never had wanted to. So then I started staffing on my own and I've been, um, yeah, just doing it on my own since about 2017. And what was that first? What was the first staff job? My first staffing job was Viva on stars, which okay. was a really cool experience and very outside of my wheelhouse because I'm very much comedy 
And Viva is, uh, it's like a dramedy. It has funny elements, but it's not a comedy, you know, in my eyes, at least by any means. Um, and then from there, I went to Grace and Frankie. And then I most recently was on American Auto, which is coming to NBC this January. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> I know. I started to see the billboards. I think there's just like, oh, a comedy. So well, the network is actually putting out I know. a comedy. I know. They're when so they actually, rare. <laughs> Abbott Elementary debuted recently and it looked I haven't watched it yet, but a friend of mine just sent it to me this morning. Hey, this is good. Check it out. Like a guy yeah, who's... hearing good things. Yeah. And so. they're actually pushing it, you know, and it just seems like it's such and a CBS has a couple species. of species. Yeah, I know. CBS has a couple of things that people like. Um, and how many years were you on Grace and Frankie? I was on for two seasons, but our second but the second season I was on was like COVID. So it actually felt like, felt like three seasons. I mean, it just kind of kept going. Um, yeah, but the final two. Okay. And so then was, were you, so you would have been on Grace and Frankie when this project was yes, happening? Yeah. Okay. Um, so, so I left Blackish after, not, I didn't leave, I've never really left Blackish. I've been <laughs> attached to the show for all eight seasons and have loved it. But I was gonna not run it again after season five, and I was looking at different ideas and um, thinking of different things, and and had had a kernel of an old idea that I'd actually done years ago as a pilot that got ordered to a short run series, and that was it's a long story, but anyway, I I'll, we can tell that as part of this when we start to talk about the show maybe, but uh, um, I I sort of thought like who would be fun to work with and in the back of my mind it was always like oh she was really even the short time we, we were together that was just like it was it was really fun so i was like let me see what she's up to so we had a a dinner and said let's do something yeah it was a it was great timing because i was like itching to get back into development i had just been focusing mostly on staffing and so Jonathan was like do you want to work on something and I was like of course I do I love I love collaborating and uh I also just think it's like fun to I, I've only worked with Heidi before really and so it was fun to collaborate with somebody just completely different right because you had you know when you start out as a team and that's how you write your first things you you know you get used to that having that other person but Jonathan you you never really had a writing a regular writing partner am I right I mostly developed in 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 half hours I was at Conan as a as a writer and and then left there you know and started writing half hours lately I will say I kind of like working with somebody like I've kind of paired up like like I'm serial serially monogamous or, <laughs> or or polyamorous maybe I guess if I have multiple projects but like I like writing with people. It's so hard to write alone. And it's like, plus you just know it's going to be funnier probably if you have somebody to bounce jokes off of. And it, I just like the scripts to be funny. So, um, and I was just rereading this thing this morning um, before we talked and um, our, this thing about Lulu. And it's like, oh yeah, that's that's an Elena joke that I remember her saying. And um, that that's in that script, you know what I mean? And, and that's great because that makes it funnier to read and to remember it. And if it had gotten made and all that. So I've done things more, but still like I, I'm a showrunner as a solo operator, but then sometimes when I develop, I like to write with people. Yeah. And it's just the, the process is so brutal that not yeah. having that person to, 
yeah. commiserate with and to talk through the notes call with afterwards. It's yeah. really hard. I mean, it's just yeah. you. It's just it's super lonely. <laughs> yeah. And even just know, the development part, you know, like can be so like I literally just finished pitching the show. And I mean, I won't know till the new year if I sold it or not, but uh, like even just the development and going through that alone and like having to parse things out, it just can be so, uh, yeah, it can be debilitating almost, I think, if you you don't have someone who could like help give you perspective. And we talked, we spent, you and I spent a long time talking about this one that summer. Yeah. Um, And it really helped it. And there were some like problems to solve and things we probably never totally cracked, but um, that felt like this has just benefited from, like that was a good development process and that we just put, talked about it for a long time. Which is yeah, it's, it's, it is so much more fun with a partner. I, I do find that like, cause you're just spitballing back and forth. Things come together more easily, I find. I mean, I I feel like when I'm working by myself, I, I go into like a weird dark writer place, which is probably not very helpful for, but like with a partner, when you're working with somebody and like when we work together, it was just felt like a kind of an easy flow coming up with these characters and everything. That said, you had right when we were starting to work on this, you had just written, or maybe it was a year or so old, a really funny thing that you'd written by yourself that I don't know if that's what you're trying to pitch or sell now, or I can't remember where that stands, but it was really good. So obviously you, you can do it, of course, at a very high level when you do it solo. So just to say that. Um, I am pitching that in March. Um, So wait, so just to to go back, you said, so the kernel of the thing about Lulu came from. Well, let me tell a story. And, and then, and I, I think that the statute of limitations has run out and nobody will get sued or fired or whatever. So I actually made, (laughs) a very different version of this show years ago. <laughs> um, when I first was the second pilot that I made in 19, excuse me, in 2001, we shot it. Um, and the, yeah, the spring of 2001, and it was called, it ended up being called the Jake effect. And it was for NBC. And it was about the very, just a similar premise really with two best friends, one of whom is kind of, wants to change the world and the other who is like, what? No, we're friends and we're going to kill it and make, you know, keep our friendship going and just have fun. And these two guys were lawyers. Um, and then I ended up making that series, as I said, six, seven episodes. Um, Jason Bateman was our lead and uh, Greg Grunberg was his best friend. And it was a, it was a first person narrator, not telling his own story, which I'd been on the show, um, Ed, in uh for nbc that was that Robert your ed- first sh- like show coming off of conan ed ed was the first scripted show that i worked on as a staff person yeah i had made a pilot after leaving conan a multicam um in 2000 and that didn't get picked up and then i went back to new york where ed was shot and was living in new york at the time and, sh- and signed up to work on ed you know consulting and full-time for like a summer and then part-time you know as the fall went on as i was developing and um I got a, an episode where Julie Bowen's character meets John Slatt- Slattery's character. Uh, he's the principal and she's a teacher and she's teaching Great Gatsby in class and he thinks she's doing it in kind of a stale way. So it's a kind of aggressive, meet cute, you know, hard, funny, like he's judging her a little bit and she's pushing back and so on. So I had to reread The Great Gatsby, which of course everybody 
has read and some people probably won't be, you know, it's one of those ones that is falling rapidly out of the canon, probably justifiably, but it was part of my experience growing up and reading books. And I was like, I love this book and I love a first person narrator is not telling his own story. And that could be a very cool way to do a single camera show where you have somebody who can kind of be that intermediary to the audience um, without a laugh track from the multicam and keep the story going and take it in different directions and be kind of unreliable and self-centered. And then I said, like, it should be about somebody who we kind of, unlike Gatsby, which is sort of a tragic story, but it should be about somebody that people talk about, somebody who makes a difference in people's lives and an impact kind of a person. Anyway, that's, that's what that setup was. So it didn't get, it got, you know, it was a long story. It didn't get far. I mean, it got made. And then it was like Jeff Zucker at NBC was like, everybody told him it was really good. And so I think he picked it up. The pilot came out really good. Mark Buckland directed the pilot and um, we had Leslie Grossman in it. Who's gone on to great stuff. And, Anyway, it, it, it didn't ever make it on air. They ate seven episodes of it, which was brutal. Um, and it was because oh, I think... Wait, so you, you made... It never aired. I made seven episodes of it. it. It aired finally on like Bravo as part of their brilliant but canceled <laughs> night that like, they did. Yeah, somebody got it. I forget. Oh, uh, uh, Lauren Zelaznik, who was like in charge of Bravo back in the day. Like, so I think my manager sent it to her and she's like, oh, that's cool. I know Jonathan. That's a cool thing that could fit into that. People have to remember that like they're thinking, wait, you had Jason Bateman. It's just like, well, Jason Bateman at that time is not the same as Jason Bateman. Also, I mean, and it was really funny because you lent me the DVDs to watch. And I feel like it was maybe just a little ahead of its time because it was still kind of multicam world at that time. And your show was like, which was so fun to do with the thing about Lulu was like these fun, quick visual cuts away, like rapid editing. And yeah. it had such like a cool clip and energy to it. Yeah, um, it did. Mark Buckland killed it in directing. It had like 72 scenes in the pilot. It was insane. <laughs> like small setups and stuff, but like we just went hard at it. And yeah, I think so Jeff Zucker, you know, not not the greatest judge judge of aesthetics in the first place. Yeah. I think he was like, he had picked up Scrubs the year before and everybody loved it. And then it didn't become a monster ratings hit. It became a solid ratings hit. And then he also had a couple other single cameras that got on in the fall. He picked ours up for mid season and a couple other single cameras that just didn't do very well. And I think he was like, I hit, there's a quote from him at the television critics association saying like single camera doesn't work. It's like little movies and you know, people don't want to sit for that. It's like, yeah, America has rejected movies as a, as an idea, you know, and this is before, you know, the office and modern family. And so the really only big single camera successes other than scrubs, which was a success for sure, but it was Malcolm in the middle probably. And um, before my name is Earl too, right? Right. It was before my name is Earl. It was before 30 rock. It was before, you know, the, the, the sort of docu style of the office, which modern family used to great effect, which again is a way I think of not having a studio audience there, but kind of keeping the pace of things going and commenting on jokes and getting an extra way of pace of, of pacing things up and and keeping it moving and, and doing some of the work that a studio audience kind of does in a multicam i think the the documentary thing did so we, we didn't have that obviously anyway i'm digressing it was a cool funny show that was a little bit ahead of its time if you watch it now it feels a little dated in a way <laughs> because so much of that stuff has been done since mark buckland including uh, who directed the My Name is Earl pilot brilliantly in a bunch of the series. 
um, really, you know, went on to make that style great. And so many great directors have done it and um, stuff, stuff with that since. But um, Carrie Burke was the, always loved it. And she was at NBC um, and didn't have the ultimate decision making, I don't think, because she wasn't running things. She was now at ABC to cut to the present. And I was like, and she and I had actually talked about doing some version of the Jake effect. So that made me think like, is there some version of that buddy comedy, first person narrator celebrating his, his or her friend. But the secret thing about it is the ending of the Jake effect pilot was like, Jake is a really great guy. This is Greg Grunberg's character talking. Jake's a really great guy. Uh, of course, I could never tell him that. So I'm telling you which was like, oh, that's cool. Like, that's a way of showing like a really hard-edged buddy comedy where they're tough on each other and bust each other's chops constantly. But then the sweet thing transaction is between the audience and the narrator in a way who sort of confides in the audience how much he loves his or her friend. So that was a spirit of like, let's do a show in that vein. But everything else was like, and I think we solved so many problems that existed in that show, Elena and I, when we sat down and started talking about it and took it to this whole other place, which was cool. And so, yeah, Elena, once you were involved, it seems like there's there's maybe some things that are taken from your life in here. Like how did that process of sort of, you know, you've got this, you've got a sort of theoretical framework for a show, but then you have to start filling in the actual specifics of the characters. And then how did that go between the two of you? Yeah. Um... Honestly, I'm like, uh, I don't remember. <laughs> I remember us uh, talking about where to set it. And I, I've just always wanted to do a take on like uh, the wellness world. Like it's something I'm one foot in, one foot out of like the whole goop thing. Like, it's like something I'm like, oh, I roll my eyes at. Meanwhile, I'm like, ice rolling my face and putting lasers on and like wearing red light glasses at night. Like I, I, I like want to distance myself from this world and yet I buy into it all the time. So like there was something about uh, that world and I was telling Jonathan a, a bit about, you know, that side of me and we were like, oh, that's really fun. Maybe we could set it sort of in that world. And also this idea of all these companies now I forget what they're called like B Corp companies where it's like they're trying to do good for the world but it's also just kind of a marketing ploy like Tom's shoes like they're supposed to be you know they give shoes for every pair you buy they give shoes to villagers and then there's like these reports about uh these villagers are like we don't need these shoes <laughs> we're good uh so like that was another element and then as far as the characters go like yeah we wanted to make I mean, I don't think I, I pretty much don't ever write a show where a character is not Mexican-American. So it was like very quickly, like, oh, like, what if she is, you know, she wants to be a do-gooder and like flipping maybe the stereotype on that. Instead, Lulu, Lulu has a grandma who's very ambitious and is like, we got to make our mark. We're going to make our money by, you know, selling out and having a very like watered down Mexican restaurant. So, I mean, we just kind of talked about, different, like, I don't know, even remember how it came out, how we got there, but it was just somehow in the collaborative process. Well, I'll say two things. One is quickly that you, you sort of recognize what I was talking about in, in male friendships, which is what that old project years ago had been of like, I have similar kinds of dynamics. And you talked about, there was composites, but friends of yours who kind of are more like the kind of do-gooder types, or you have that element in you. And then the sort of hard charging entrepreneur or, 
you know, business types and people. And then also just that dynamic of like relentlessly busting on each other kind of, or, or like playing each other constantly um, in a way. And yet, and yet there's this great affection and like being exasperated by your friend, but also celebrating her. Um, so that, that you recognize. And then, yeah, backing up to mama Sabina, who, who uh, Elena was just referring to, like your grandma is, you know, um, was sounded like an unbelievable person and an unbelievable, you know, not her, her husband and your whole family on that side is, was so interesting to hear about. And, and uh, that really enriched the whole take on this, I think, just to have this yeah. other generational aspect to the show and, and, um, and these kind of like differing agendas that are a little unexpected was really kind of cool. Yeah. My grandma did have a restaurant uh, when uh, she was younger in Long Beach. So that was, you know, another inspiration for that aspect. So was there a lot, it sounds like Jonathan, there was you just trying to draw out stories, right? From like, talk to me about your your mm-hmm. friends, your family, like give me, let's just have a lot of raw material discussed yes. that we can then figure out how to frame into story. We would share stories. I would, I mean, you don't have to, push Elena hard to talk about her grandma um, and uh, and and even and your mom too and their relationship and, and all of that and then um, the wellness thing again yeah that was very like oh this is you I didn't even you know that was just very cool like I knew you would run like a dance studio or something so yeah. you were in like the fitness world too but like it just felt like a natural place to go to so a lot of it was that and then it was me too talking about like you know, like, like that Jake effect show a million years ago totally was that main character was sort of, you know, a a friend of mine in New York who just could have done the wall street thing or kind of maybe flirted with it for a minute. And then just was, is like a really good dude who, you know, is infuriating sometimes because you kind of go like, you could, you could lighten up and be more fun Um, or, or he is fun, but uh, he also has the side to him of commitment to doing the right thing which is great, but also, and I, and also we, we thought it resonated a little bit too generationally that people do look at, like, I think a great thing about millennial and Gen Z, you know, people are, there is like a, is this asking that question of like, is this all there is? And do I want to, what do I want to spend the rest of my life doing? And that felt resonant in 2019 when we were, when we were writing this for sure. And it keeps resonating, I think, as we, you know, look at the world on fire. Right. <laughs> the planet is burning. Yeah. Well, and during the pandemic, I feel like that was a huge thing. So many people quitting their jobs and questioning why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I in this relationship? Yeah. Well, it brings us, you know, um, so I mean, Jonathan, I think, knows this that I've been like, you know, an environmentalist and pretty deeply involved with that for, you know, 20 plus years and always thinking about like, okay, how do you bring this into the work? And the question, I guess, you know, and I'm sure you guys thought about this a lot, you know, you have Lulu, you have this character who is the, you know, who's concerned and committed. And then you have the character who's kind of like, fuck it, like, let's, let's just have fun while we can. And do you think, um, that Scotty, that character, ends up kind of getting more of the jokes and more of the laughs. And how do you, you know, 
how do you make that character, that earnest character? Because in sitcoms, normally what happens is anyone who's earnest, anyone who cares about something is just teeing themselves up to, to be the butt of the joke. Um, and the characters that we laugh at and love the most are the kind of fuck it, you know, Bill Murray and Stripes. I always think of as like, you know, like the person who just doesn't give a shit. That's the character we really like. Um, and, you know, so how much, you know, how did you sort of think about that and how do we, you know, make sure that the, the earnest character isn't just a straight man to the really fun character? Um, and great question. <laughs> and we definitely, we definitely felt that. <laughs> yeah, I think we struggled right. with that a good amount. I feel like that was for sure something we kept going back to and being like, Ooh, like Lulu, you know, especially I think in the, when we were thinking about it, I was really, we were like, I kept thinking Lulu's the main character. And then as we wrote it, exactly what you're saying happened. Like, you know, Scotty just kind of jumped off the page. We got her voice really quickly and more easily. For um, sure. I mean, it's a more comic attitude. Yeah. I think you, the couple things I think you do, first of all, you you write it full well knowing that it'll never get made into a series so you can get away with it for the pilot. Um, <laughs> you cast, honestly, you get to cast that person so that they bring funniness to it in a way that is fun to watch the way that, and, and honestly, Jason Bateman is like a, the perfect person and we would have had to have found our Jason Bateman uh, for, the, for the character of Lulu because he or that character is fun to watch because they create, they drive the story hard. You know, they, 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 they are heroes and they heroes in the way where they think they're going to, you know, watching them get ahead of themselves, watching them create problems for themselves over promise, over deliver, you know, under deliver at first solve problems that they set out to solve, but not in the way that they thought they were going to solve them. Those kinds of heroes journeys, like you have to lean into them as what you're gonna do and you hope that you know like michael like um michael bluth in um in um in arrested development as what jason did or you know liz lemon you know in in 30 rock like the somewhat more sane person surrounded by other people who are kind of um crazy but also creating problems as she goes because of her drive all of that being said, yes, it would be a challenge. <laughs> yeah. And it's, you know, it, it's something I think about so much. Like, how do you, because um, what you end up seeing a lot is these characters where they, this sort of personal purity test, which gets us nowhere in the environmental fight, right? If it's all about like, you know, are you being perfect about sorting your recycling? It's just like, A, it doesn't matter that much. And B, it's just off-putting and like, it's not helping things and we've seen that for years you know that that there's the it's often the teenage girl who's like berating people about you know, that's a you know classic straw whatever you know yeah. kind of thing teenage um, girl or me in a writer's <laughs> right <laughs> um and unfortunately when that gets translated onto a show it's just like oh i like the fuck it character like yeah. give no, me more of the fuck it character and then have you accomplished what you're trying to do or have you given people more permission to to be to say to fuck. mock to right. mock and yeah. deride the the person who's who's who kind of cares yeah i think, I think uh, there's some of that oh yeah i was also going to say i think like building out you know the character can have like very altruistic qualities in that way but they can also then it's like 
going beyond that stereotype of that person and opening up to like, what are their quirks outside of that? What are their characteristics? What are their, what makes them tick outside of this one thing? Right. Because you know, even if you're an environmentalist, like there's going to be comedy probably in somebody outside of, they're going to have other aspects. I feel like we tried to do that with Lulu with, I mean, she at least like, she wasn't afraid of teasing her friend. She wasn't so such a do-gooder that she wouldn't like jab her friend or she wouldn't have fun. And, you know, she wasn't like so straight edge try to keep her <laughs> a little like messy and all that. try to keep her messy. I think we would, she would maybe do something. She would do shady stuff in the service of good stuff, maybe as a way to see what she would do. But yeah, I think it's, it's a challenge. I think, you know, you have to hope that the dynamic, that, that the brutality with which she deals with Scotty, it helps you be funny in that dynamic. Right. And, and you root for her and you like her because she manages this obnoxious friend of hers and puts her in her place and even, um, you know, turns the tables on her or plays the trick on her or is the prankster or is the, is the um, agent of chaos on that other person sometimes. Um, but yeah, there's, you know, and then at some point you go like, maybe it's okay that somebody's a little straighter. Like, I don't think we would have sold out her environmentalism that much to get laughs. But I also think that like, you can have that dynamic where somebody is a little more earnest and it's still enjoyable to watch. And it, maybe it's okay if Scotty's making you laugh a little bit more. You just have to be conscious of where you find your laughs for for Lulu and also casting. You know, you get somebody who gives you all the extra little flavor that is comedic that isn't necessarily joke, but is an attitude of uh, of you know. I think like you know Hawkeye Pierce is kind of you know you know like that the sort of Bugs Bunny central trickster character in shows is still somebody that is fun to watch, even if you're, they always sort of have righteousness on their side. Right. And Hawkeye was, you know, unmashed for you younger people who maybe have like listeners who maybe don't know what we're talking about, but he was a great character because he could just be like, he could be the fuck it character about so many things, but not when it came to surgery. Right. You know? <laughs> like he had something that he deeply cared about, but then, you know, so it could be, could be a bit of both and like you know none of this is you know don't get me wrong i'm not criticizing at all how you wrote this i'm just realizing like if i'm in a writer's room on the, this show goes to series and i'm in this writer's room boy am i going to be pitching the shit out of jokes for scotty all this thing you know? i know it's just like that's where the writer's room is going to drift towards and you're right you like there would be such like policing that would need to yep. happen because there would be this drift to let natural writer's room drift would be to lulu's a buzzkill yeah <laughs> like yep. uh, uptight buzzkill who, who's just like you know purity test is where the last and then the, like we're really having fun yep. pitching those scotty jokes where she's just like lighten up and let's you know let's eat the endangered you know yeah whatever no it's true uh, i mean the other <laughs> logistical thing just logistical thing we would have had is like how do you keep them together in a way that is meaningful uh if you're going to keep it a kind of workplace setting like how does how does Scotty drift into Lulu's lane if she was the one who was going to stay back and make money at, at the old version of the company or the company that they both worked at? And then Lulu's going to run this new division, this green division within. Um, 
within this. But yeah, hopefully, you know, that's why I was, I think we were proud of the, the Brita character, um, which is the sort of goop-like Gwyneth Paltrow. Right. Played thing. so brilliantly by June Diane Raphael. Yeah. I mean, when, we, <laughs> when we heard her read that, it was like, oh, okay, that's, that could be really funny. So, but all of what you say is true. I think there were logistical issues and I think there absolutely are like, how do we make sure, which is why I also think you just tell a buddy comedy where, you know, maybe, you know, it's the classic thing, but maybe Lulu is a mess in so many other areas. So you can have her be disastrous and have Scotty have to be the hero at times and save her from herself. It does remind me a bit of uh, Grace and Frankie. I mean, though I wouldn't say Scotty is the Frankie character, but just that we had, you know, I would say in Grace and Frankie, it was so easy to pitch like so much funny for Lily and so much, comedy and then we're constantly having to go back and find the comedy for grace and i think a lot of that does come from just like you know character build out as you go along in the seasons it, but you have to work on it like it's definitely like like you're saying you have to put your attention there yeah there's usually i mean jonathan i'm sure you've found this too on the movies like there's there's usually a character on a show where you have to kind of someone has to point out, hey, so-and-so only has questions and straight lines. And, 100%. you know, I mean, it was always, it was like Courtney Cox coming over to us in front of saying, like, could you guys take a little Monica pass on this? Because yeah. I don't have any jokes. And you're like, oh, right. Like, yeah. and it's not, I mean, it's a great character and a great actor, but yet it was just like, boy, we'll pitch the shit out of some Joey jokes. And some, like, yeah. and like Monica's exactly. just a little bit, just that little bit more difficult. And so you're like, like, let's just pitch another Phoebe joke. And then you're like, oh no, we forgot to give Monica yep. jokes. And it's, I'm sure there's that character on every show, right? That you have 100%. 100%. <laughs> On Blackish, we had to be careful that we didn't do that to Tracy Ellis Ross because she's, and plus she's so funny. Yeah. Um, and so, like, we really leaned to, like, and she was great down with it. Like, let's make her, you know, so full of herself and, and can't not remind everybody that she's a doctor and um, vain. And, you know, we had to lean into all of that because, you know, Dre, Anthony Anderson's character over the top and his point of view is so clear. Um, but it's very it's doable. But you're absolutely right. And and one of your jobs as a uh, showrunner, literally, Monica doesn't speak on page uh, from seven. She's in this scene and she has one line in the scene, pages seven to nine. What are we doing? Like the actor is going to notice it and the audience is going to notice it. And it's also like when you have a slightly more nuanced character, when you find the right thing for them, it's really great. Right. You had, and it's true. The key is, and this is probably what would have been the case for Lulu is like, what is that flaw? So you're saying that there's yeah. a, there's a vanity to rainbow, like, you know, that, and it was the anal quality of yep. Monica, like, you know, but there's a struggle until you find that joke lane because mm -hmm. you probably have the other characters whose joke lanes are like super clear and fun yep. to pitch on. And it's just like, all right, we have to find this, flaw this thing that should make someone sort of unlikable but actually makes them likable when they're in a comedy because they just they're they have this narcissistic or mean or whatever it is that that element to them um i was on season three and four of how i met your mother and that was the discussion uh on josh radner's character ted mosby like he's so winning and so lovable but what is what are the things that make him really funny and you know, and they, he was able to take on 
a sort of like know-it-all, which we gave to Rainbow a little bit too, like kind of a know-it-all douchey quality yeah. of like, like, you know, it's, it's, it's Frank, it's not Frankenstein, it's Frankenstein's monster kind of a guy, like, right. you know, and, and, and Josh was really funny playing that. And once we started to lean into that more, um, it made, gave more places to go for the comedy in that show. And that's, how, I mean, you know, when you say that, it's like, that's season three, right? You've like yeah. managed to like get to season three of a show and be successful. And and the writers could still like not know how to make one of the main characters, you know, the main consistently character. funny. Yeah. You know, the, literally the main character. The, you can how, get the I and How I Met Your Mother. By the way, they had done tons of funny stuff and they were, they were such incredible storytellers. But it definitely was like, what are we, what are we doing to make Ted really funny other than just winning and romantic, a romantic, a completely lovable romantic hero who you're rooting for, what else makes him funny? Right. Schmanners. Noun. Definition. Rules of etiquette designed not to judge others, but rather to guide ourselves through everyday social situations. Hello, Internet. I'm your husband host, Travis McElroy. And I'm your wife host, Teresa McElroy. Every week on Schmanners, we take a look at a topic that has to do with society or manners. We talk about the history of it. We take a look at how it applies to everyday life. And we take some of your questions. And sometimes we do a biography about a really cool person that had an impact on how we view etiquette. So join us every Friday and listen to Schmanners on MaximumFun.org or wherever podcasts are found. Manners, Schmanners. Get it. So, Jonathan, you've you know you've, you've written a lot of pilots. Um, do you feel like when you start one that you know anything? <laughs> like, do you feel like you? Is this something I'm dealing with? You know, I'm writing whatever my like 25th pilot or something. And there's times where I'm just like, I don't know how to do. I don't know how to write this pilot. Like, um, like there's there is accumulated knowledge, and yet there's still this feeling of like, ah, shit, I don't know. There's still so much I don't know how to make about how to make this thing work. Or do you feel like you've gotten certain things where you come in, like you came into this project, you're like, well, I know this. I know the story has to be this. Or... I say this. I still think it's hard to come up with the balance of the the right world and the right characters to people with it with i do find and this is maybe a bad thing because i actually haven't gotten pilots made a lot of pilots made recently um of my own um but is that the stories the pilot story usually kind of weirdly wants to be what it wants to be like if you've set up the world and the characters pretty well like what story you would tell first Obviously, it still takes a lot of work and thinking, and you're going to get feedback on it. But it kind of feels like, like for this one, and again, this didn't get. This is not, and we're not talking about now. The thing about Lulu is in season three, and well, you wouldn't all, be on this podcast if it were. That's right. <laughs> um, but like, once we kind of came up with this world and this dynamic and some of these characters, the idea that it would be about, you know, Lulu learning something about this company that she believed in and thought satisfied her do-gooder urge, and then saying this is not at all what I thought. And Scotty saying, don't quit. Don't do this. Felt like, don't leave this. You know, why, what do you, why do you care about this shit? Felt like that's the story you're going to tell. So that's the only thing I do find. Like I don't tend to agonize over pilot stories because they, they kind of want to be something like generally speaking, but yeah, your characters and your world and, just the first, like, what do I even want to talk about? 
I mean, were there things, so Elena, like you came, you were sort of maybe coming off of having written one solo right before this, like, or? Yeah, I mean, I, that I hadn't sold yet. That was just like my writing sample, okay. but like, I guess yeah. I'm asking is like, were there things that Jonathan, you know, as your collaborator, supervisor, whatever, that felt like, okay, that's the voice of experience helping us through this process where, uh, and I don't want to tee you up to be like, no, he just, he brought nothing. <laughs> he absolutely was, was useless. I wrote the whole thing. But um, do you mean, were, were there things where it's just like, okay, that's someone who's written a lot of pilots who's helped us like figure out, you know, crack, crack this. For, for this project, you yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, I mean, <laughs> I feel like I, I feel like that was like that's one of the great things I think working with Jonathan is that I I think I still question a lot. I still question my instincts often, which I'm sure everyone does. But there was something with I feel like okay, I'm like if Jonathan is on board, it feels like this. Is good, <laughs> I'm like okay, I have a little more faith in it. Uh, I don't know uh, if this is much of an answer, but I guess I'm just saying, yeah. I mean, I think I do think when I work on something, I spiral a lot on the on the pilot story like I, I it changes so much and I'm like I could do this like the central uh plot point or like the main pivot moment I feel like is usually the same but then how things fall into place after that are are is often what I struggle with the most yeah um and how about do you remember the because I cold opens to me cold opens the pilots are just the hardest hardest thing um and the more you do them and the, the more you realize how important they are the harder it gets in a way for me at least I'm just like I know what this needs to do and it needs to do all of these things and I've been in focus group testing and I know how you got to come out of the gate and all these things and it becomes a sort of paralyzing thing about how like no cold open seems good enough do you do you remember this cold open and whether it came quickly from the beginning of talking about this or did it change a bunch I feel like it came together pretty quickly. I remember just uh, uh, having this idea of seeing this woman, like you, we, we think you're following this woman who's very put together and we think, oh, this story is going to be about this perfect woman. She's talking about her friend, but then we pan down to Lulu kind of, I don't know if being like altruistic and giving is a flaw, but in Scotty's eyes it is. So like showing her giving away their dinner and panning down to that and just trying to set up as quickly as possible, as clearly as possible, that dynamic between them in the cold open. I, I would say that this, yeah. this, the cheat of this narrative device made this cold open choice less arduous than some, mm. because we really, it, it's, it's sort of going to be like, and this is, you know, I'm not saying this is, it, look, it's not on the air, so it didn't work or whatever, maybe, but. <laughs> well, that but doesn't, if, doesn't mean it didn't work. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Thank you. Uh, but, but um, you know, the, the choice, it's going to be something like, this is my friend Lulu. You know right. what I mean? With that narrator driving that. So some version of like, you have this massive cheat slash shortcut slash bring the audience in with somebody basically pointing out, like, you know, I think, Years ago on the Jake Effect uh, thing, it was Greg Grunberg's voiceover, and it was like, "This is my friend Jake." You know what I mean? And like, <laughs> you're right away saying something about like, "Here's somebody that's worth talking about because I'm talking about them." Right. Yeah, and it becomes it's almost hard to write pilots without a voiceover. 
no. every single camera because you're you're asked for such clarity so quickly i know and it's very hard to get that exposition out in in other ways where you don't have someone saying like hey here's this main character let me tell you who they are and you're just like okay now we know and then the the network and the studio are all happy they're like oh this is clear you want to hear one of the great cold open pilot stories yes i've been involved with was david casp was the writer who created happy endings um, and is now has uh, Black Monday, and he's, you know he's he's so talented. Um, he, I got, I was asked to supervise Happy Endings um, at, at the early on in the pilot stage. I mean, it had gotten picked up, but they needed somebody to help produce it. And we had the most elaborate cold open that he had sold the show with. He had sold the show by pitching this cold open to ABC, which was we're following a guy, handsome guy, in a board meeting. He all of a sudden says, I can't do this. And he straps on rollerblades and rollerblades to the streets of Chicago and shows up in a church to steal the bride away from his, the wedding. And it was like a fake rom-com cold open of like, I've got to like steal the bride away. And then the camera pushes in on the guy he has stolen the bride from, which was (laughs) the guy, the bride being stolen is Alicia Cuthbert, Alex and the the guy at the altar who's left behind because she runs away with the guy on rollerblades is the Zach Knight, the Dave character in Happy Endings. And we shot this entire cold open focused with the misdirection of this guy on rollerblades and him at this boardroom pitching this product and I can't do this and I got to go. The woman I love is about to get married. And then we turn the camera around and push in on, on Zach Knight. And this is his story basically with no narrator. That sold the show shot that at great expense joe and anthony russo who are now the biggest directors mm-hmm. in hollywood directed the shit out of the pilot it looked incredible shot at this gorgeous church in pasadena all these boardroom scenes got this handsome actor um to play the the guy who steals alicia cuthbert away it tested horribly and the audiences <laughs> hated it and it was like millions of dollars of money blown out out and we never used that cold open we used him coming in but no backstory to him. And it was just focused on the friends at the altar as Dave and Alex are about to get married. And it just shows you like, you can have the greatest COVID in the world <laughs> and think it's setting up your show perfectly and even helps you sell your show. Because David Castle was an unknown writer at the time. And it was just great. Like, I'm going to turn the rom-com on its head. And instead of being the couple running off into happiness, we're going to focus on the guy left behind and what his friends do to lift him up and how he and the friends group prepare, especially when she comes back with her tail between her legs, you know, three weeks later. And how does his friend group heal? Didn't need it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And, and I guess it's still an open question of whether because the focus group hated it, does that mean it wasn't good? <laughs> no, it doesn't mean it was actually kind of good. And I think if it had been an actual movie. Yeah, like if you had tested the opening of the first Harold and Kumar movie, for instance, yep. which has a similar conceit, right? Yeah. Like when people have said like, oh, I hate this because why was I watching these guys who turned out to not be what the movie's about? We're like, but that's what's great about it. Um, and we and they couldn't do it in a TV show, and like the audience was like instantly the dial testing goes down and the drives yeah. that stays down then, and it's like you're no chance to come back from that. No, you're, um, you're in, on the in defensive. A network, yeah, network comedy in 2010 mm-hmm. or 2009, whenever we shot it, 2010, that dial testing stays down and it puts the audience of like, fuck you, what did you just do to me? I don't <laughs> like it. Whereas if you're if you paid eight dollars, well, you know, twenty dollars to sit in the movie theater. 
um, and you're like, okay, I guess I'll keep watching. Oh, I like it now. I see what they were doing. Yeah. You don't get that chance a lot of times. And yeah. Especially in network. Like maybe you do it a binge scenario now where people can go like, well, that was okay. I'll go right to the next one. Right. Maybe yeah, there's, there's a little so more many shows where, streaming. Yeah. So many streaming shows where people are like, no, you got to get to episode seven and it's just so great. And like, wow. Okay. Seven episodes. All right. Fine. I never make it for those. I'm always like, nah, I'm good guys. Yeah. <laughs> um, so what was, so we didn't really talk about how this, was sold and then just the, the sort of history at the network of of the show and <laughs> this, this is slightly embarrassing but i'll share it we went in and pitched it so carrie and i had always when carrie burke was running freeform we had actually had lunch one day and she's like i always loved that show the jake effect why don't you come do that at freeform or version i was like well i'm running blackish and i don't have time right now and so on and so on so now she's the president of ABC and I'm like, okay, I have this great partner. I love the world that we've created. And I even teed it up to Carrie. I'm coming in. You remember the thing we talked about, whatever. And literally we pitched it and I did not say, I didn't think it was the right thing to do to say like, basically this is a rethought out version of this idea that you always said you loved. <laughs> and we sat in her office at ABC and the pitch went well, but like she didn't get what we were doing. <laughs> And somehow I forgot to tee it up as much as I should have. It was only at the end that she sort of went like, oh, is this? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but it was a good pitch. We only pitched it to ABC. Um, I remember it, they didn't have too, too many like questions. They kind of wanted to let us write it. Sold it, I think, in the room, right? Basically. I know. I, th I remember it was like maybe later that day you were like, I think we sold it. But then I felt like there was like a question mark on it for like another week or two. Yeah. Around. Did we? What ha what's happening? Uh, I just was trying to be respectful of like, I don't know, that thing was made a million years ago and nobody cared about it, but I didn't want to be like, and also it's like, it's such a different, it's really like, it's it's the narrative device and the relationship and a, and a person who wants to do good and a person who kind of wants to like, kind of in a comic way root against their friend doing good that's that's the, that's where it overlapped but and then i thought it was this fresher world and we had did have a way of keeping them working together which was the jake effect like the one character stayed being a lawyer and the other character goes on to become a teacher jason bateman's character and so like they didn't even have they weren't even in the same world anymore which was quickly a problem when i was actually making the seven episodes that we did make <laughs> by the way so we'd solved a lot of problems but anyway i should have probably just been more like this is a you know a complete new take on this old old idea um and i never explicitly said that <laughs> i don't know if that would have helped because she did figure it out and then she didn't and did it buy it so it wasn't yeah. you know, it's yeah. not a fatal mis mis mistake or anything so and we didn't get the notes we got we got some confused studio notes at one point i remember yeah that's and th they did ask us towards the end to pull back on the voiceover which we probably should have done more of now like when I hear it I'm like oh yeah okay you, you guys were right well um, especially the table read though you'll hear I mean the the, the as, as people listen to this or did listen to this they'll see like it's too much for this process because Scotty's just talking too much and but if you had pictures and images right yeah. to sell that it would be fun I think but and give you jokes and, and actually be nice but yeah I think for the read 
It was right. always you need the visuals. We probably would have pulled it back. Yeah, because there's, a, I mean, a lot of those, the, it's counterpoint. The visuals are counterpoint yeah. to, you know, ironic counterpoint to what you're hearing the voiceover. Sure. Then you lose some of that in that table read. Yeah. Um, but was that the main, that the in the development process, was, was that one of the main notes you were getting? I'm yeah, sure. I think we didn't get a ton of network notes, which is sometimes not a great sign either. Like we got more studio notes, which helped, I think. There were some where they kind of it felt like they didn't quite know what we were doing with that friend relationship. And we kind of were like, I oh. think Scotty seems like a jerk or something, maybe. I can't remember. Yeah, what we, I, now I'm remembering. We did get a lot of notes of like, why are they friends? Like, oh, why yeah. are these two friends? And uh, so we tried to like build that out a bit more and explain it. But that's always a, a funny note to get. You know, you're like, I have friends who were that are polar opposite of me and we're friends. Like they're, I mean, it's hard to explain it or. Yeah, I know. I've gotten that note too. And it does seem like not every friendship has some completely, you know, rosebud kind of moment of like, Oh, this is a, this is the explanation of why these two are friends because yeah. there's like a lock and a key kind of thing. And it's just like, well, I, no, I don't know. Sometimes people yeah. like each other. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're friends. They do things for each other because, yeah. you know, Scotty makes makes Britta, excuse me, makes uh, Lulu more, you know, like ambitious and money oriented in a way that she's okay with. And then, you know, maybe Lulu will make Scotty actually have a conscience a little bit and 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 think about stuff and and value relationships and stuff that she wouldn't ordinarily value. So, to me, it's always like, well, I'll give you one quarter page of dialogue. Like to me, I just was rereading it, like the way they interact about jack and how they're different flirting techniques and give each blow each other shit about that stuff that's the friendship right there like right you know constantly observing each other and critiquing each other and but we did put in more stuff about like we're the dynamic duo kind of thing i think probably and i you know i do this in the business and you do this and together it's great and yeah we're dope <laughs> Yeah, we kind of well, sometimes I look back on that I'm like oh, I guess we could have maybe we could have addressed it in a different way I think I think sometimes I have a I have a tendency where if I get frustrated with a note I I, I can do that a bit just like spell it out or you know and it's like in the moment it does answer the studio or the network and they'll be satisfied with it but then later on if you read it again you're like why did I put that in there like that line or that those two lines right. will stick out like a thorn in your side because you're like, ooh, that's that's bad writing. I'm not saying necessarily specifically for this, but I've had this experience where I'm like, that's bad writing. And that was me just addressing a note. And I'm like, yeah. one of the things moving forward I want to try to be better with myself about is like holding myself to a higher level and not just being like put it, putting something in just to <laughs> satisfy someone. And I'm like kind of resentful. Yeah. Well, the fact is though, you if you had shot this, you would have taken those things out right you you sometimes have to put very expository things into a script to get to the next stage knowing this isn't they're not putting this draft on television like i right, will right. you know that's the network note line and we'll take it out and editing or you know you may even have to shoot it but then you'll know like let's cover it in a way that we can lose that line because right, it's so right. on the nose and right. and the actor is going to tell you everything you need to know when they first show up on screen and we won't have to spell it out yeah. i remember on to go back to happy endings again david cast because he was newer had taken the note of like why are these people friends he's like they've all been friends since fourth grade <laughs> and and that and then like i think we didn't totally say that in the pilot but there was a obviously a uh, two sisters 
and the friendships did seem deep and comfortable and so on. But I remember early on as in season one, like going like, let's please not make them all have known each other since fourth grade, because we want to know when, you know, it's just like, again, like that was a great thing about friends was like, yeah, you had a brother and a sister and some deep old friendships, you know, from high school. Then you had outsiders who drifted in. How I Met Your Mother was the same. Some of those friends were from college. But then, you know, Barney and Robin came in much later and how they came in and what they did to the group is way more interesting. So um, I had to like sort of, I didn't even know how much, I just knew that that made more sense, I think. And I had to go, but I think he was just going like, don't ask me that question. They've been friends since fourth grade, which I totally <laughs> understand. that. <answer. laughs> yeah. You just want to answer. You just want to have an answer that's not complicated, <laughs> but then, yeah. What happens when you want to, explain something to someone who you know well if everyone would know this if everyone right. knows the entire history sometimes that's inconvenient when you exactly like tell a story to someone so the process sounds like it was pretty smooth like it was probably disturbingly smooth <laughs> um, yeah. we were we were headed into although we didn't know that i will say the, the hardest part was uh <laughs> I was pretty free in my schedule because I was working on helping out on a, a, a spinoff of Blackish called Mixedish that ran for a couple of seasons. I was there a couple of days a week and I had a couple other projects I was working on. Elena was working full time on Grace and Frankie. So we had to meet early in the morning at um, Le Pan. Le Pan, go to the end in Larchmont and here in LA. And, uh, uh, you know, I would, we would work from like eight to 10 or something, you know, a lot of mornings. And then sometimes after work, we'd go, you, you, we'd run into you at the, the tennis club that we, that I, you and I, <laughs> and Ellen and I would be sitting in a corner working after work sometimes at night. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was, it, it was intense, uh, but it was also fun. Like, it, you know, it was intense, but also like, it was fun to work like that different kind of muscle while also staffing on something, you know, cause when you're staffing, you're just in the service of the show and you're, yeah. doing all that but then to get to like be creating your own thing in the morning or in the evening and then we'd work on the weekends too yeah well, the worst thing we did probably was i think i got a head cold first and we were sharing a computer like passing a laptop back and forth across the table <laughs> at, at la panco to the end or the lobby of that tennis club that we belong to that i belong to and i'm pretty sure i made elena really sick from my head cold so sick. I mean, I, well, and that was de like December, 2019. So we're like, yeah. was that COVID? I mean, I had the worst pop and like, I remember we were still working and we were just like, uh, like just showing up at La Pan. And there was, we always wonder, cause there was an older couple that would, they have these long communal tables in La Pan code to the end. And we would sit at one and there was often this old couple that would come in for breakfast elderly couple and like just have a quiet breakfast with each other and we're like did we make them sick right. did we kill them with covid <laughs> also they like, COVID? they like the same seats as us so sometimes like we would get there first sometimes they would get there first i felt like it was like a seat off uh yeah and then so then it was we were into the pandemic by the time they were making the decision on this pilot or was it well, right no, before it was it february was, i can't use it as an excuse because those <laughs> pilot pickup decisions are made in january and february, february. we probably okay. wouldn't have been able to, if it had been picked up I bet you we wouldn't have been not. able to shoot it right we wouldn't have shot it yeah um but no the last thing uh <laughs> i remember going to buying a ticket to a big benefit 
that Carrie Burke was being honored at uh, that I would have done anyway because I Carrie's kind of a pal, right? Um, and and actually to give her credit for my career was um, the person who I met with when I was a head writer at Late Night with Conan O'Brien. She came in from New York when she was the you know a VP in comedy at the network at NBC Network and like my agent set up a meeting and we just hit it off and she was like yeah when when you're ready to come out i'd love to she she basically got me into the half hour business wow. so i am eternally grateful for her and had i've had a good time working on different things with hers over the years um she but so i would have gone to this anyway but i definitely was like well i'm gonna i probably bought like a, a higher level ticket than i would have bought um <laughs> <laughs> to go to this benefit to show the love a little bit and uh and then it was march 3rd at the Beverly Hilton. And I remember going, so the, she, they'd already made the decision to not to pick it up at that point. But um, I remember being like, Oh, this is a lot of people in a, and everybody was a little bit like, what is going on? That was that week where like with each mm-hmm. passing day, you're like, I can't believe I did that yesterday. Right. Yeah. I can't believe I went to that thing yesterday and you're at a thing and you're going like, can you believe we were at that thing last night? And then the next night you're like, can you believe we we're at that thing last night? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, mine was a was a table read at Disney. Um, was the last large gathering of of people that I was at, and it was you know helped just helping out and the table read. And it was sort of like a pilot that then ended up not getting shown. I was just like, geez, that that's how we're gonna go 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 out. Like I went yeah. to help out and the pilot, and that's what kills me. Um, <laughs> so you didn't try and get your money any money back from that uh, gala after the show wasn't picked no, up. No, I was like, can I just go? Can I knock it down to just that two hundred dollar friend <laughs> it was uh, way level? Too, no. The ship had sailed. <laughs> also, Anthony Anderson was hosting it, so I was also it was, okay. it was a double whammy of people I I respect and care about and want want to support. Um, but yes, definitely, yeah. probably went. Two fifty, two dollars, two hundred fifty dollars higher on the ticket level than I would have <laughs> if you didn't have a pilot in contention. If I didn't have a pilot in contention, they're counting. On, they're counting on that. At all of those gallons. <laughs> they are. They're really counting on people thinking <laughs> that's totally. going to make the difference. Everyone who has written a pilot for that network, there. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everybody's trying to hand their script. I have one last revision, Carrie. I know you're trying to be honored, but could you just look at this? You yeah. wrote a new tag. No, I've made my decision. <laughs> Not happening. Um, and was it sort of the usual, like, you didn't really get a reason for the pass? You just heard that there was a pass or there was there any info? I think it was, we love the writing. It was really nice, but we're not going to do it kind of a thing. But it wasn't an effusive uh, anything on one way or the other. Again, I think the pass was, the full pass would have been happening close to COVID time. Right. Because it was, a, yeah, maybe, I don't know. Um yeah, I, I, my my memory was like that there was, I just remember feeling very lukewarm at the end from the network about it, like a, a bit about the friendship and and did it fit in with ABC at the time with what they were doing. And so- They uh, didn't really do, yeah, it felt like they didn't do a pick up like a workplace thing. I can't even remember because nothing got shot really. So, but- I mean, I guess they're doing, what have they done since they have the home economics show and, and that would have emerged maybe from the wreckage of the pandemic um, and Abbott, Abbott Elementary, uh, which is supposed to be great, um, emerged from, is this the second time I promoted Abbott Elementary yeah. in this conversation? Yeah, it hell? is. Yeah, I have weird. no horse in that race. I know, what, I was going to say, we should, what we should do is 
have you guys before we uh, wrap up here is plug your we did a quick plug about American Auto but Elena do you want to just say a little bit about what American Auto is um sure <laughs> let me see if I I literally feel like I've already had a baby I'm like barely sleeping at night because it's so big but uh out of my mush brain, this is my summary of American Auto. It's it's essentially, uh, it stars Anna Gasteyer and it's set in Detroit at like, it's kind of like a take on Ford uh, automobiles, automobiles. <laughs> <laughs> and it's, um, it's like a workplace comedy where we're, you know, we make fun of the auto industry a bit, but it's really at its core. It's just like a fun workplace comedy, a great ensemble. We have so many awesome actors. Um, yeah, it's. I think it's really, really, really funny. So I highly suggest checking it out. Hulu, Peacock, NBC. That all right. from the creator of Superstore. From the creator. Um, and Jonathan, plug your show. Yeah, I am. I have two things. One, I am a kind of. Uh, I'm an executive producer on a, a wonderful show that's being shot right now for Hulu called This Fool, created by the guys who created Corporate, which is a hilarious show on Comedy Central that ran for a few seasons. And they're kind of this brilliant trio. And they hooked up with um, Chris Estrada, who's a wonderful comedian. Uh, and it's a strong sort of point of view. It was originally called Punk Ass Bitch. Oops, I probably shouldn't have said that. Um, but this is an inside industry enough thing to say. Um, and it's sort of Chris's sort of beta worldview on things that gets challenged by his alpha cousin who comes out of prison and it's working class Mexican family um, and workplace stuff in South LA. Very interestingly, cinematically shot. Very, very cool and funny. Um, and then, um, but I don't run that or have anything to do with that super day to day. I kind of like talk to them and read scripts and outlines and, you know, help make calls when they need it for whatever network or studio or casting things or whatever um and then the thing i'm really working on actively that i'm super excited about is everything's trash um that created by phoebe robinson who's a wonderful comedian writer author um who was, who, who was in this uh, who was of course in this table read <laughs> in this table read as a favor to me um and i was so happy that she did it and she's just really we, we shot a pilot in the spring for ABC studios for freeform. And we're, we got picked up. We're going to redo the pilot and tweak it a little bit, but um, um, different, different, some bunch of different elements to it, but um, wonderful cast. And she's been terrific to work with. So we opened the writer's room about a month ago and it's, we're off to a good start and 10 episodes and um, Freeform's excited about it. And they seem to like what we're doing so far. So um, we'll see. I'm excited so that probably will be on. I think I think they're talking about maybe in the early summer next year. I really can't wait for that. I'm very excited to see. She's great. Phoebe Robinson is a is so really cool. Yeah. yeah. And there's some other or were there other actors from this from the thing about Lulu Table Read who were also in that? Yes. Show? Um Moses Storm plays Cooper Hawk, and he was really funny. He plays Phoebe's TV Phoebe is what we call her character. Um <laughs> it, he, she plays his. Uh, he plays her kind of old friend from college who's her roommate and kind of the devil on her shoulder to kind of pull her back into her trashy, messy ways um, of, you know, being kind of heedless and, 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 and millennial-ish before she kind of moves towards some mature, maturation and adulting stuff in, in the pilot and beyond. Um, and then uh, Laura Patalano, who's in This Fool, 
it plays Mama Sabina, and she's Esperanza, who's Chris Estrada's mom in um, in this fool, and she's wonderful, um, um, really great um, to work with. And yeah, this was this was a great cast that you guys really helped us. Uh, put together. Um, also, some fun facts: both Steve Schneider and Krista Rodriguez tested for Fifth Wheel, which was oh, the that's first right. One. Oh. I, I, I'm going to go right to it. It might have been Krista Rodriguez who was we were taking into the room. Let's just conflate that story. <laughs> Bob Greenblatt was hightailing it down the hall, skipping our casting session. I do think that happened because I remember her being like, "Oh, hey, Bob!" Like she knew him, and then was like, "Oh, he's leaving. He's leaving." So is that right? It actually was her. Yeah, I think it was her. I think oh, we were reading it. Um, she was reading for the main part, Lucy. Uh, yeah. I'll also say about Steven Schneider, I have a project with him because he's a really good writer. Yeah. He has a really cool uh, a dark comedy thing that we're trying to set up somewhere. Can't say anything else about it because it's, it's you know, it isn't anything yet, except it's a great script. So he's really talented. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, thank you both uh for for letting us read this and for taking the time to talk to me and elena um wow good luck Thank uh, you. you know elena it's exciting I, my husband keeps being like it's uh t- 10 days away and i'm like please don't say 10 days that sounds like so much i'm like just i keep saying it's seven days from tuesday which for some <laughs> just feels easier. i'm like it's seven days um uh, well good luck it's gonna be amazing and uh, thank you both. Happy holidays. Even Thanks, though this Andrew. will be airing well after the holidays, but happy holidays. There'll be new holidays. Yes. Happy holidays. Thanks, bye. I hope you enjoyed that, and I hope you enjoyed the very belated happy holiday wishes. Dead Pilot Society is produced by me and my co-host Ben Blacker and our associate producer Noah Finling. It is edited by Jordan Katz. Hey, if you like this show, please tell a friend about us. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or any other podcast app where you can leave reviews. You can follow us on social media to find out all the latest. We're on Twitter at Dead Pilots Pod and on Instagram at Dead Pilot Society. Until next time, I'm Andrew Reich. Thank you for listening. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.